0: You are listening to the Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Tom, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It's truly an honor to have you on the program today.
1: Brian, it is great to be here. Honored and excited.
0: I would love for you to share some of your backstory. Then let's dive into some experiences that have really impacted your life.
1: You bet. I am 55 years old and I've been in our current business for 55 years. I was born into it, so to speak. (laughs) My father is Zig Ziglar and I started to work officially for the company right after college. I needed a job to support my golf habit. I played college golf, and I thought I was going to be a PGA professional. And I needed to have flexibility so I could play in a lot of tournaments uh, while I continued to work on my game, which never, unfortunately, never got to PGA tour standard. But it got pretty good. Mm-hmm. I started working in the warehouse at Dad's company, packing boxes, uh, moving stuff around, and then from there I moved into production. We used to make our own cassette tapes and VHS tapes, if there's any Ziegler fans out there and you've got an old cassette tape, it could have my fingerprint on it because I was was the one who ran the labeling machine that put those uh, sticky paper labels on cassette tapes.
0: (laughs) Wow. That dates me as well.
1: So were you a tapeworm by any chance?
0: Yes, (laughs) I was. I had a ton of cassette tapes. Many of those were from your father.
1: Oh, we would do two or three thousand of those a day, which back then seemed like a lot. Now with production of digital, it's like, oh look, we can do a we can do a million in one whack. It doesn't seem like that much. Uh, then I moved into sales and fell in love with that. That's when my golf started going. Uh, when I said, you know what, I've given it all I can, I'm going to focus on this now. And from sales to sales management and then leadership. And then just about 25 years ago, became the president and CEO of the company at the ripe old wise age of 30. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we're turning this all over to you, Tom. Have fun.
1: Yeah, well... They had some good people around me, which if they'd done their job better, they'd have kept us out of more trouble.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I hope they're listening. Yeah. How did that feel, Tom, to have that responsibility transferred to you at that
1: age? gosh, one of the things about being that age is you don't know what you don't know. You know, it was intimidating, but it wasn't overwhelming because you didn't have the reality of some scars. Mm. So three years later, when I'd had three whole years of experience at the age of 33, I said, hey, let's start a new business. And I put together a business plan and took it to dad. Of course, he loved it because it was something that he'd always wanted to do. And then we started that business. What was it? It was a direct sales business selling our core programs as well as a nutritional vitamin product line that was fantastic. We really did put a lot of energy and research into getting the best of the best. But in the, in the networking industry, which I learned is you can do everything right and it still won't go sometimes. A year later, in $2.5 million loss, Wow! I shut that down and for the next year went to sleep every night thinking that dad had spent his whole life building his reputation and I had ruined it in about six months. So that was some learning time and of course during that whole time. It didn't seem to phase Dad. He he kept saying, oh, don't worry. God's got this. We'll figure it out. He just had that faith. Mm-hmm. Feeling responsible and being that age, boy, that was a hard time because literally every day from 7 in the morning when I'd get to the office until 6 when I would leave, it was just – remember the old Nokia flip phone? I do. They had that distinctive ring to them. If I hear that ring today, my stomach turns because – That meant somebody was calling me asking for money.
0: The bill collectors were calling, huh?
1: Yeah. And so there was a couple of things that really happened in my life in that time. Of course, I took every call or called them back and and answered every one of them truthfully. Within a couple of years, we'd paid everybody back. So we got through it. But probably six or eight months into it, I was driving home and my mentor and friend called me and he said, how are you doing? And I said, Not so good. And he said, why? And I explained what I'd done all day, which was like every day for me. And he said, well, did you do all you could today? And I said, yes. He said, did you return every call? I said, yes. He said, did you tell him the truth? I said, yes, I did. He goes, well, God's happy with you. Leave it in your car and go have a good night. That was a turning point for me because we make mistakes or, or even, you know, this wasn't a moral. Mistake. This was just a bad, a really bad business decision, which is different, but you still get the consequences, right? Yeah. That was a big thing to know that God allows those consequences and he does things with them and he's with us during it.
0: That learning experience that you've done all you can do that day. You've been truthful and now you can just leave that in the car and go in the house and enjoy your evening What was it that shifted inside of you when you received that understanding?
1: You know, and I wish I could say it was like an instant shift, but it was the beginning of a shift. And it just it just let me know that when you compare the moment to eternity and I look back at all the trials, because all of us, if you've been around a while you've gone through something you wish you didn't have to go through. So true. Either because of a bad choice or because life just happens. And what I've discovered is the time that you go through that, it's usually not as bad as you make it. It's your view of the time. Like I could have done everything I had and just had faith and put all that on God. And we still would have gotten through it, but it wouldn't have been the pit the whole time. During that time, we had an opportunity with a company in the industry, and we reached out to them, and we ended up striking a, a very large spokesperson deal for Dad, seven figures. They agreed to pay it up front. I was thinking in a in an earthly sense, I was like, I've got all this cash. I've got two or three years to get out of this hole mm-hmm. to start building back and taking care of the emergencies. Well. Literally that same week, the bank called. They said, Hey, we've got some news. It's not good, but your dad pledged his personal retirement against the debt. So this is around 2000. The ratio is not right. We need him to sell some of his retirement so he can pay off a chunk of this debt. And they gave me a number. It was exactly the same number as that spokesperson deal. You know, sometimes you hear a distant whisper. And, you know, it's God. Sometimes he just gets a bucket of water. (laughs) (laughs) A cold bucket of water. Yeah. And says, see, see, look at this. So, you know, you get those signals along the way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting because I learned a couple of lessons, you know, obviously the faith lesson that God's going to provide. But the other one, which was, and when you're in a hole and you get a lifeline, your objective is still to get out of the hole as fast as you can. And I'd already shifted my thinking to, wow, we don't have to suffer as much <laughs> rather than, hey, I need to get out of this hole. I was reading um, last week that, you know, in the Old Testament, it was always stop sinning and then do good. And that's an interesting thought. It's not, okay, just go and do good. It's stop sinning and then do good. That's a challenge for a lot of us today because we can get really excited about focusing our attention on the good that we do while we're still sinning.
0: I've heard two lessons thus far. One is when your mentor asked you the key questions about what you did during the day, and did you do your best? Did you speak the truth? And how that caused a gradual shift in your thinking. And then the other was regarding, obviously, God's provision in the midst of this debt issue by providing the upfront cash from the speaking engagement. That theme I'm hearing thus far is God's taking care of it, and we can choose to either embrace that and let go of the fear, or we can still walk in that fear and that mindset and experience incredible anxiety, even in the midst of him taking care of these situations. Does that sound fair?
1: That sounds fair. I was doing kind of a study on dad's attributes, his character qualities. And then I said, okay, well, from God's perspective, what is the number one character quality that a believer should have? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So if you ask people this, they'll say things like love, which is pretty obvious, or Old Testament, it's obedience. Right. I mean, it's like Mm -hmm. that's rated up there. Some people will say humility. And then I came across this word called brokenness, and it's like the deepest level of humility. And what brokenness means is it's, it's not that you're broken, it means that you understand there's nothing you can do. Of eternal significance without God's hand. Mm. And so I started digging into that word. And one of the attributes of a broken person is they never worry.
0: Mm, that's powerful.
1: Over the last 10 years of dad's life, maybe 20, I heard him say at least 10,000 times, I never worry. Why is that? And that's this that a broken person realizes they only have two responsibilities to have a vibrant relationship with God, and to speak God's truth and love. Now, here's what's pretty neat about that is I think this was ultimately the secret to Zig Ziglar's power and impact on stage. Because when he would go on stage, he wasn't there for the people in the seats. He wasn't there for the person paying the bill. He was there for God. And he knew that he only had to speak God's truth and love. And so, what's interesting about that is when you do that, you have no responsibility as to how that person receives it because that's between them and God. Mm-hmm. And so, the majority of people, and probably most of the time, myself included, we want to be liked. We want to hear the ovation. You know, we want people to stand up. We want people to invite us back. Because of that, we take responsibility for what we say. But if we just spoke the truth and love, then then we know that's between them and God. So, Dad, when he would prepare, when he was done with the speech, I'd say, how did you do? He didn't care how many standing ovations he got. He judged it in two ways. Did he prepare in a way that honored God with the time he had? And then he did he speak God's truth and love? And then he would look at it and say, what could I have done to make it even better? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: that, that, that
0: was it. I'm fascinated by his statement that you said you heard tens of thousands of times. Is I never worry. I've never met a human being who has said that to me in all sincerity. Have you? Besides your father?
1: No, he's the only one.
0: How does one get to that space? And you've touched on this with brokenness. How does somebody go from the sense of I kind of trust God sometimes? and then I kind of don't, and then there's moments where I really do, and it lasts about 10 minutes. How does somebody actually move into that space of, I never worry, and it's really the way they live their life?
1: You know, Dad was all in in whatever he set his mind to. When he accepted Christ, he was broken in debt. Still had all the talent that he had, right? Mm -hmm. He basically prayed. He said, everything's for you. just keep a hedge of protection so I'm not tempted that was his prayer mm-hmm. and from that day forward he never had to seek another speaking engagement and I think it just I mean it's a muscle and he looked back at his life and saw how no matter what the situation was God always provided now also 25 year, or 25 years ago about this time a little over my sister Susie passed away so dad's a, a first daughter. Mm. I saw, you know, just the the grief that you would expect. Sure. I saw that intense. No parent should go through that. But I never saw the worry. I mean, he talks about it in Confessions of a Grieving Christian, when he was grieving and crying out, and suddenly God told him, well, you never have to worry about Susie, because you know where she is. Mm. And you can't say that about your other children. So even in the grief you know he had that message. Mm-hmm. part of it is you get to choose what you believe. He studied that so intently I mean romans twelve two the renewing of the mind. There's so many verses about worry. it's kind of duh. we shouldn't worry, but we do anyway.
0: <laughs> it is kind of duh, isn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, but the thing is is we've been sold and we believe a lie, and then we get saved, but that belief that's there is still there. So, we got to transform that. So, it's a choice.
0: You know, it seems, Tom, that choosing that is literally minute by minute throughout one's day, isn't it?
1: It is. I heard a sermon, and this is, of course, this is our business, right? Our business is, is much about mindset and personal belief and character qualities and the habits that we choose. And as a believer, there are three things that we've really got to do when it comes to our mindset. And the first one is, is we have to choose the right input. And a lot of Christians are are pretty good at that. We read and we listen and we study and all that. And then the second one is we have to guard against the wrong input. So it's not enough to just choose the right input. We got to guard against the wrong. And of course, we all get wrapped into social commentary and news and and social media and discussions that go nowhere, and they take our thinking in the wrong direction. But the third one is the one that very few people take seriously, and that is we have to train our mind. So we choose the right input for our mind, we guard against the wrong input for our, our mind, and then we've got to train our mind. And training it is the key.
0: How do you train your mind?
1: There's a couple of things. You know, in traditional Orthodox Judaism, phylactery is the little box that you put on your head. Are you familiar with that?
0: With the scriptures in it?
1: Well, in the original Hebrew, the idea is they do it because they want to literally weave God's word into their mind so that their response is the same as if God was responding.
0: So that physical reminder is a way of immediately turning your thought toward the word
1: right and weaving it in i'll just give you an example of how one of the things that i've done to intentionally train my mind if we have an opinion or a belief and we're around long enough we'll be attacked for it you've probably been in a situation where somebody just over the top attacked you (laughs) Mhm. So the first thing I ask myself when that happens to me is would a secure person do that? No.
0: Great question.
1: So immediately I'm knowing that I'm dealing with someone who's not secure. Well, I don't have to be in a defensive posture at that point. Right? Yeah. Because actually it has nothing to do with me, it has to do with them. The second question I ask myself is as a believer, I believe Christ lives in me and the holy spirit is in me and so is there attack against me or against god like is the belief i have is it congruent with what god teaches and if the answer to that is yes then they're really not attacking me they're attacking god and the last time i checked he's big enough to handle it
0: (laughs) you think That's great.
1: I had breakfast with Dr. Ken Blanchard. He wrote The One Minute Manager and all those books. And he said, Tom, do you know what the two most important qualities of a Christian leader are? And I said, No, tell me. And he said, Confidence and humility. And then he smiled because they don't fit, right? Right. He goes, The confidence to know that there's nothing you can't do with Christ. And the humility to know there's nothing you can do without Christ.
0: it's the opposite
1: sides of the same coin, isn't it? It is when you look at the leadership void we have today, do you see any leaders who exude those two attributes simultaneously?
0: I do in the Christian world, but that's a tough one.
1: it is mm-hmm. and you know and in the Christian world, I see a lot of Christians who exude the humility but don't have the confidence to elbow their way up to the front.
0: Why do you suppose that is, Tom?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I was discussing this last week with somebody, and that is principle of, you know, don't go to the chosen seat at the table, wait until you're invited. Mm-hmm. I think that's some of it, but I think we can be a little bolder in making our presence known that we're we're ready to be invited.
0: It's a good way to put it.
1: But I don't know. I, don't, I guess that's a tough one.
0: Let me summarize thus far what I've heard you say, and that is the the three components here for changing one's mind are choose the right input, number one, number two, guard against the wrong input, and number three, train our mind. The two key questions, if you're getting attacked, would a secure person do this? Would they attack you this way? And that's a question one should ask. And the second is, is the attack against you? Or against God. And then we touched on the two most important attributes of a leader that Ken Blanchard mentions are confidence and humility. What is it, Tom, as you coach people now, if you were to do, say, a 90-10 or 95-5, what are the top 95% of the challenges that you tend to encounter in your coaching these days?
1: It's probably even 99%. Mm-hmm. And it's mindset.
0: So it goes right back to mindset.
1: Yeah. They, they believe a lie.
0: What have you found the best way is to overcome the lies that we believe?
1: There's really two steps to that. The first step, if you want to change your thinking, you've got to change your input. Mm-hmm. We already talked about that. Dad said, you are what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. And you can change what you are and where you are by changing what goes into your mind. So we've got to change what goes into our mind. If you have something that's deep seated, you gotta dig in and figure out why it's there. A belief that says I can't do this or I shouldn't do that or that's not meant for me or I don't deserve that or whatever the thing is that's holding you back. Because you can go in and transform your mind. You can recreate that. And then the other one, and this is this is from a good friend of mine, his name is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. I don't know if you're Heard of him or aware of him? Yes. He said this quote, which I love. He said, The opposite of depression is not happiness. The opposite of depression is purpose.
0: That's really good.
1: And if you look at our world today, the anxiety, the worry, the fear, the uncertainty, all the things that are going on. I joke and I tell people, Yeah, I've got COVID 19. I gained 19 pounds since COVID started. <laughs> <laughs> What happened is it's just been an uh, an incredible time of change, right? And uncertainty. So we're we're working from home, or we're not even working at all, and we're not sure if our business is going to be there. That creates uh, depression. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm depressed. I'm not happy. So what do I do to get happy? Well what most people do to get happy is they self-medicate and that could be cheesecake or that could be two plates of spaghetti or that could be alcohol or drugs or anything, right? What we're trying to do is get the short-term happiness fix so that we're not depressed, but that always leads to more. It always digs the hole deeper. And so this is where as believers, we've got to get really clear on what our purpose, our why is, you know, why are we here? What's our purpose? Mm -hmm. And then it's very interesting, just like a salesperson can say, hey, if I want to sell my quota this month, I know I have to make so many calls, do so many presentations, create so many proposals on average in order to get a sale. We know it. If we're going to get a project done on time, we know the activities we have to do In order to get that project done on time, it's very measurable. But what I would say is that once we've got clarity on our purpose, we can break down activities that we can do every day that'll get us closer to our purpose. And so the first step is we change our input. The second step is we take action towards our purpose, whether we feel like it or not. Dad said this, that logic will not change an emotion, but action will.
0: Oh, that's the truth, isn't it?
1: My mission statement is to create the atmosphere that allows you to become the person God created you to become. Uh, My spiritual mission statement is to have a vibrant relationship with God and to be a conduit for his glory. So when you get under pressure, when you're starting to feel depressed, when the world's kind of getting at you. I asked this question on a webinar a couple of weeks ago, and one of our guys His name is Jose Garcia Ponte, and he's a retired uh, command sergeant major from the Army. And I asked the question, what do you do? And this guy's a runner, and he says, well, I go and run and revisit my why, okay? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we got to do. What's our why? What's our purpose?
0: What have you found to be the best means of finding your why?
1: That's a combination of two things. One is, you know, as a believer, I think there's a common why or purpose, We're called to be holy. We're called to serve others, love. But we're also uniquely created. You know, we were knitted in the womb. And every single one of us has gifts and talents and attributes that are unique to us. Mm -hmm. So dad said that success is the maximum utilization of the abilities that God gave you. It's not what somebody else has done. Or how do you use everything that God's given you? And so I, I have a little kind of, Three circles that tell people this kind of helps you get in the neighborhood of where your why is. Mm -hmm. So these three circles, they overlap in the middle. First circle is what makes your heart sing. You know, when you're doing something and your heart's really just rejoicing while you do it, you look at your watch and you think it's been 10 minutes, but it's been four hours. What is that? Mm -hmm. What is that thing? Who put that there? Who gave you that? It's like chariots of fire when he's running down the beach. He's closest to God. He's fast and he's closest to God when he's running. So that's the first thing. The second is what problems do you solve? Look at the type of problems that people bring you. Are they relationship problems or business problems? You know, what kind are they? And the reason I I tell people to dig into that is if people are bringing you a certain type of problem, then they've probably identified a gift or a talent that you have that you may not even be aware of. And then the third circle is, what's the biggest challenge that you've overcome? And that could be a self-inflicted challenge of a bad decision, Mm -hmm. or it could be just a life challenge. You grew up in a difficult childhood in a home, or you you got a sick from something, or you had an accident. I mean, there's all kinds of challenges. Where those three circles overlap, you're gifting the overcoming of the challenge and what makes your heart sing. Where those three things overlap, that's a good place to look.
0: I love it. That's fantastic advice. What now is the biggest thing you're looking at in your life, in your business, as the next hurdle or the next challenge?
1: At the end of 2019, you know, I looked at our mission statement at the company. And our company's been going since 72? Mm-hmm. And it was created as really a vehicle for dad speaking and writing. He was a personality. Yeah. So what got us to where we were, the peak, is not what's going to take us where we need to go now because he's not here. And so we've had to reinvent. And somebody told me at one time, they said, hey, you know, it's harder to reinvent a company than it is just to start a new one.
0: (laughs) I could see that.
1: So I don't know if they're right, but I can sure relate. You know, the things that were really good in the past aren't, aren't your future. And so it's hard to let go of the really good things uh, sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at really what our company does. There are four things that our company does. There are four specific groups of people that we help and these are our target and we help more than this, but, but it's kind of why we exist. The four things that we do is we encourage, transform, equip and support and so anybody from any walk of life who says there's got to be more why do I feel this way mm-hmm. we're here to help you encourage and help you transform and that can be through a book you know an audio program, a seminar, an online course I mean it's just there but the the last two words of equip and support is really our focus and our focus is these four groups of people people who are committed to intentional legacy building, coaches, trainers, and speakers. What I see our primary purpose now is it's legacy. Let me give you the, the difference between success, significance, and legacy. Okay. Success is really, it's more individual. It's having more of the good things in life. Like Dad said, it's the maximum utilization of the abilities that God gave you. Significance is when you help someone else be do or have more than they thought possible, so significance is helping someone else. Legacy is when you then equip someone else to equip someone else so I'll give you the the example so brian if if you call me and say, "Hey, I used the goal setting program and I achieved a goal i'd get a I'd give you a high five mm-hmm. right. I'd be really excited for you. If you called me and said, Hey, I taught my kids the goal setting, they used the system for four years and now they're getting into the college that they always wanted to go to because of it. Man, I'd do a snoopy dance because <laughs> we move from success to significance. And then if you said, You know, my child's in college and they taught one of their classmates the goal setting system, I think I would just be floating on air because. They've now taken what you taught them and they've taught someone else. And that's legacy. And so we're in the legacy business. And so not only are we equipping coaches, speakers, and trainers and supporting them, but we want them to do the same thing.
0: Tom, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Find out more about your business.
1: Yeah, the easiest is uh, our website at ziggler.com. And I'm also kind of old fashioned. So if you just email me directly, tom at com and just say, Hey, I was listening to this podcast. I've got a question or need some information. I'll respond.
0: Okay. I'd love to finish up here by asking you to pray for our listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day uh, and the choices that we have, Lord. And we know that you have prepared a way and everything is secure. Even in uncertain times, we know that our faith in you and you are certain. Uh, And we ask that you would guide and direct our steps and give us wisdom. Help us to be clear in our intention and our purpose and our direction so that we can honor you in all that we do. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Tom, thank you so much for being on the program. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening.